Last week, President Obama became the target of mockery when he descended into porky pig protestations at the divisiveness of Republican nominee Donald Trump. After tripping over his words while trying to gain his footing, Obama finally settled on a line of attack. Here's what he said. He said, quote, if we turn against each other based on divisions of rights or religion, if we fall for a bunch of okie doke just because it sounds funny or the tweets are provocative, then we're not going to build on the progress we started. Meanwhile, across the country, likely Obama supporters rioted at a Trump event in San Jose. They waved Mexican flags and burned American ones. They assaulted Trump supporters and they generally engaged in mayhem. All the same day, Donald Trump labeled a judge presiding over his civil trial unfit for his job. He said, I'm building a wall. It's an inherent conflict of interest. What, pray tell, was the inherent conflict of interest? Trump said that the judge was one of them Mexicans. The judge, by the way, was born in Indiana to Mexican parents. Two days later, Trump told Fox News' Janine Pirro, Barack Obama has been a terrible president, but he's been a tremendous divider. He has divided this country from rich and poor, black and white. He has divided this country like no president, in my opinion, almost ever. I will bring people together. So, who's right? Well, they're both right. Obama, like it or not, leads a coalition of tribes. Trump, like it or not, leads another coalition of tribes. The founding fathers weep in their graves. The founders were scholars of both Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. Thomas Hobbes argued that the state of nature, primitive society, revolves around a war of, quote, every man against every man. In such a state, life was awful, he wrote. No arts, no letters, no society, and which is worst of all, continual fear and danger of violent death, the life of man solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. He learned all this in high school. The solution to such chaos, said Thomas Hobbes, was the Leviathan, the state. He said it was, quote, but an artificial man, though of greater stature and strength than the natural, for whose protection and defense it was intended, and in which the sovereignty is an artificial soul as giving life and motion to the whole body. So basically, the state comes along and fixes the problem of tribes fighting each other because it's so big and so powerful. Hobbesian theory has prevailed throughout human history. Tribal societies either remain in a constant state of war with each other, or they're overthrown by a powerful government. Jared Diamond, who's an anthropologist, he writes that, quote, tribal warfare tends to be chronic because there are not strong central governments that can enforce peace. Those strong central governments often arise, says anthropologist Francis Fukuyama, thanks to the advent of religion, which unites tribes across family boundaries. Right? My family may not be your family, but if we both believe in Jesus or if we both believe in the Bible, then at the very least, we have some commonality. The rise of powerful leadership leads to both tyranny and to peace. The founders were scholars of Thomas Hobbes. They were also scholars of John Locke. But in Western societies, tyranny cannot last. After generations of tyranny, after tribalism gives way to Judeo-Christian teachings enforced through government religious tyranny, citizens begin to question why we even need a tyrant in the first place. They begin to ask John Locke's question. In a state of nature, we had rights from one another. Why is a tyrant allowed to invade those rights? Is prevention of violence a rationale for full government control, or were governments created to protect our rights? Our founders came down on the side of Locke, not Hobbes. They said in the Declaration of Independence that, quote, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But the founders still, they still feared tribalism, and that's what they call faction. Whenever you hear them talk about faction in the Federalist Papers, they're truly worried about the seizure of government in order to benefit one tribe over another. They may have agreed with Locke over Hobbes about the proper extent of government, but they never believed that tribalism had disappeared. That's why they attempted to create a government that pit faction against faction, tribe against tribe, cutting the Gordian knot of tyranny and tribalism with checks and balances. This is what James Madison wrote in Federalist 51. He wrote, quote, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the government, and govern, this is the tyranny, and the next place oblige it to control itself. This is the Lockean rights argument. A dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control on government, but experience has taught mankind the, necessi the necessity of auxiliary precautions. This is what Madison said. This is a brilliant solution to a real problem, so long as it worked. Sadly, it no longer does. Tribalism has had its revenge. It began with the decline of American religion in the 1950s. As religion declined, Americans looked for new sources of community, new community ties. And in the 1960s, the Marxist left provided Americans that meaning with ethnic and racial solidarity. It wasn't that we were all Christian or all Jewish or all Judeo-Christian. Instead, we were black and white. We were Mexican. We were Jewish. Even as America began to move beyond its historic racism, the left hijacked the conversation around race and divvied up Americans into subgroups of ethnic haves and have-nots. City governments became playgrounds for racial factions, racial tribes, taking control of government and expanding their power. Student groups divided along racial and sexual lines. The social fabric frayed. 
The unrest of the 60s and 70s, that provoked a law and order backlash, a desire for a powerful government that would stop all the tribalism. But for three decades, Americans rejected tribalism as a mode of politics. Ronald Reagan, for example, he wanted a stronger crackdown on tribalism. He believed in universal human freedoms. And Bill Clinton rejected sister soldiers race baiting, if you recall. Not surprisingly, the rejection of 1960s tribalism ushered in an era of smaller government dedicated to the proposition that constitutional checks and balances were the best protection against tyranny. Then came Obama. President Obama's tribal politics have crippled us, crippled us. Americans hoped that Obama, after campaigning on the notion he would provide a capstone to our non-tribalism, would heal our wounds, move our country beyond racial politics. He was to be a racial unifier. He represented the hope that America could finally reject tribalism in favor of American universalism. Instead, Obama rejected checks and balances and has used tribalism to grow his tyranny. By cobbling together a coalition of racial and ethnic interest groups, Obama knew he could maximize the power of the government to act on their behalf. So his DOJ, his Department of Justice, cripple police departments based solely on the race of police officers. He suggests America has an inborn, unfixable problem with racism. He says that this is a rejection of the founding ideology. Donald Trump is the counter-reaction, but he's not like Reagan or even Bill Clinton. He is also tribal. His tribalism is the tribalism of Pat Buchanan. Here's what Buchanan wrote in 2011, quote, to increase the GOP's share of the white Christian vote and increase the turnout of that vote by specific appeals to social, cultural, and moral issues and for equal justice for the emerging white minority. So fight for the white minority. He says, why should Americans be ashamed to represent the progeny of the men who founded, built, and defended America since her birth as a nation? He concluded, white anger is a legitimate response to racial injustices done to white people. Instead of attempting to set checks and balances to prevent faction, instead of trying to educate Americans in founding principles, this philosophy focused on tribalism of white folks, making the crucial error of linking skin color to culture. So we've reached the end of the era of small government. As tribalism rises and as chaos ensues, Americans look again to the strong man. We begin the cycle anew. First, we feel the rage of riots in San Jose and Ferguson and the spiteful glee of white nationalist alt-righters. We watch contests between tribal figures like Hillary and Trump. We wonder which tribe will win, even as America disintegrates right in front of us. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The honest, tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So yay, last night was a historic moment. Yay, is everybody excited? Woo! Hillary Clinton is the first felon to be nominated for president of the United States. No, no, everybody is very excited because Hillary Clinton has a vagina. And this, of course, is the most important thing in the world, except for all of the other things in the world. But this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of man. The media could not be more excited, or at least they feign excitement. They're not really excited. Okay? The media is not really excited. I'll give you why they're not really excited in a second, but they have to pretend they're excited. So here's a quick montage cut by our own Mathis of all of the members of the media who are just ecstatic over the moon that a woman who allegedly has a vagina is talking about, about how she has broken the glass ceiling and finally women can be anything. Finally, women can do anything. Women, girls everywhere, you should know this. If you, if you grow up rich, go to the best schools, marry a guy who becomes president, intimidate his rape victims, and then run on the basis of his success for a president, you too can be president of the United States, girls. Very exciting stuff. So here's the media just over the moon about all of this. Tonight, Hillary Clinton making history, a turning point in American politics and a moment of reflection from Clinton herself. This is an historic moment, eight years in the making, Secretary Clinton becoming the first woman ever to clinch her party's nomination. That's and for the first time in the history of this country, I, frankly, this is really exciting to say, for the first time in the history of this country, we're going to have a female nominee of a major party. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian, that's something this country should note and acknowledge. Hillary Clinton making her mark on history. According to the news, we are on the brink of a historic, historic, unprecedented moment. We begin with that history in the making. Hillary Clinton clinching the Democratic nomination for president. The first woman to be okay. a nominee for so, a major okay. party. So they're, they're so, all, they all got to play this up. They all got to play like they give a crap. Okay, so there's a few reasons why this is completely valueless and stupid. And the media is just, oh, oh, finally, the first female nominee. First of all, okay, let's just point this out. Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister of Britain 40 years ago, okay? <laughs> Golda Meir was the prime minister of Israel 50 years ago. And this idea that females have it rough in Western civilization. Angela Merkel has been the head of Germany forever. This, this is so stupid. That, that, that I have a young girl, okay? 
My young girl could have run for president whether or not Hillary Clinton ran for president. In fact, there's a worse shot she'll be president because Hillary's going to give all women a bad name by being Hillary Clinton. Here are five reasons why this doesn't matter at all and why no one is excited about it. They're all pretending they're excited. Nobody's really excited. They all know this is boring and it's stupid. So number one, in order for something to be historic, you actually have to have overcome obstacles. Or you actually have to have overcome obstacles. So I didn't think it was that historic when Obama became the first black president. Because I didn't think there were that many Americans who sat around at night going, we have to stop the blacks from becoming president. I think it's a small group of people. So when he became president, I was like, okay, I knew, he, I knew a black guy could be president. I just think he's a really bad guy to be president, and he happens to be black. Okay, whatever. And this is why I didn't fall into the Laura Ingram trap of, oh, it's a historic moment for America. No, it was a crappy moment because Obama's a crappy president. Nobody opposed Hillary because she's a woman. Okay, there's no obstacle for her to overcome. Everybody knew she was going to be president since she was in the womb, right before she was in the womb. Right, she's been running for president since she was born. So th- this idea that she is some sort of standard barrier for for women is crap. Second of all, women complaining that we finally have someone to represent us. Fifty-three percent of all presidential votes in two thousand and eight and two thousand and twelve were women. Women are the majority of voters. You don't get to complain about you being victimized in the electoral process when you're the majority of the people voting. Okay, that's silly talk. The electoral process isn't victimizing you if you're the majority. So that, you're real victims. Yeah, you're real victims. Okay, fine. Also, it's it's a lot more historic that Hillary's under FBI investigation and that she's a woman. Okay, let's be real about this. If this were Sarah Palin who'd won a, a presidential nomination, which given the way this has gone, it may yet happen. The, the, you, know, the, you can guarantee the media wouldn't be going nuts over it in the same way the media didn't give a damn that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio were winning primaries and both of them were Hispanic. They didn't care. Okay, fourth reason. Obama stole Hillary's thunder. Like eight years ago, people were really pumped about this. Eight years ago, they were saying, oh, well, you know, it's either going to be the first woman or the first black guy and blacks outrank women on the, the leftist hierarchy of victimhood. So Obama came along and he stole all her thunder, and now nobody cares. I mean, this is like, the, it, it's Transformers 2. Nobody liked the first movie all that much, and the second movie, no one needed. It'll earn lots of money and maybe successful at the box office, but it's going to be a complete crap show and nobody wants to see it. Finally, women generally are not victims of society. The, the notion that Hillary Clinton has been victimized in any way because she's a woman is absolutely absurd. It's absolutely absurd. She's only become successful because she's a woman. If she were a man, no one would give her a second look as a politician. She's terrible on stage. She's awful interpersonally. She has no new ideas. She's really boring. She's deeply corrupt. She's the worst presidential candidate in modern history. I mean, she's really that bad. So this idea that she's been a victim and now she's overcome it is just crap. Nonetheless, Hillary Clinton is uh, is out there, and she's talking about how wonderful all of this is. So Hillary spoke last night, and the media, I mean, I have to say the media, there, there are a lot of people buying into the idea that Trump was going to be president after he, after he destroyed the media during his primary run. I never fully bought into it, specifically because I said that the media, <clears throat> the media was bound to open up their guns on Trump when we hit a general. That's what's happened so far. So the media criticized Hillary. Oh, she's not fun. Oh, she's not interesting. Maybe Bernie Sanders is more interesting. Now that they're in general election mode, they're now making Hillary into the great heroine. She's the, she's the kindly-hearted grandmother who's just here to help us. And so Hillary Clinton, uh, she spoke last night about how uh, her vagina qualified her for high office. Here she is talking about how she's broken the glass ceiling uh, with her cankles. Clip one. It is... Wonderful to be back in Brooklyn, here in this beautiful building. And it may be hard to see tonight, but we are all standing under a glass ceiling right now. But don't worry, we're not smashing this one. Thanks to you, we've reached a milestone. The first time, the first time in our nation's history that a woman will be a major party's nominee. Yay, women, yay! Okay, there's only one problem. She's saying this in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, if she said she was a man in this speech and I called her a woman, they would find me in Brooklyn, New York. So the left has this bizarre notion that men can be women and women can be men, except when it comes to Hillary, it's super important that she's a woman. Deeply important that Hillary Clinton is an actual female because females are different than men. But if you say females are different than men, 
then you're a sexist and you're against transgenders and you have to be fined $250,000 by the people in New York. So very exciting. The left has no idea what it's talking about. All they know is that it's a milestone, a milestone moment for Hillary Clinton. And then Hillary continued along these lines. Hillary Clinton, she suggests that she, this, this is where she makes her political case. And this is the thing. She's the same old boring politician. She's the same old boring Democrat politician with a bahoo that's, that's her entire appeal. Her entire appeal is, and when, when Trump says that all she has to play is the women's card, this is correct. This is right. Okay, it's, it's true. She's, all she has is this. That's it. So here, here is Hillary Clinton making her political case, and you'll see just how weak this is. As we look ahead to the battle that awaits, let's remember all that unites us. We all want an economy with more opportunity and less inequality where Wall Street can never wreck Main Street again. We all want a government that listens to the people, not the power brokers, which means getting unaccountable money out of politics. <laughs> and we all want a society that is tolerant, inclusive, and fair. Okay, this is so unbelievable that these things are leaving her mouth, right? Okay, what did she just say? Here's what she said right there. She says a couple of things. An economy with less inequality. She's worth $100 million because she's charging people six figures to speak, right? She lives in Chappaqua because she's a politician who made money off her politics. She says Wall Street shouldn't be able to wreck Main Street again. Hillary Clinton was literally the person who laid the groundstone for Goldman Sachs in New York City. We have the pictures. And then she says we want a government that listens to the people, not the power brokers. What? You ran the Clinton Foundation where you sold government favors on behalf of dictatorships. And then she says she wants to get unaccountable money out of politics. Really? Really? That's what you want to do? And then she says she wants a society that's tolerant, inclusive, and fair, except for her Republican enemies and religious people who have to be shut up at the first available opportunity. So all this is crap. All this is crap. But she's wearing a really expensive coat, and she has a vagina. So that's, that's all that matters. She, you just take that old, old wine and pour it into a new bottle. But it's, it's, a, it's a new, magically, gen, genitally different bottle. So that's, that's all that matters here. By the way, I'm not sure where she gets her clothing. This one, I think she got from Christian Bale in Equilibrium. But she continues along. Then Hillary turns to her main opponent. And politics is the art of opposition. And so here's where Hillary is going to be strongest. This is where Hillary goes after Donald Trump. But even here, Hillary is wildly incompetent. What makes me so sad about this, folks, Hillary does not deserve to be a major party nominee. She doesn't deserve to be in politics. She's a criminal. She deserves to be in prison. It shouldn't be hard to beat her in a general election. But in a minute, we're going to get to the other side of the aisle, and you'll see why it's not going to be easy. For Donald Trump to beat her in a general election. Here's Hillary taking on Trump. When he says, let's make America great again, that is code for let's take America backwards. Back to a time when opportunity and dignity were reserved for some, not all. Promising his supporters an economy he cannot recreate. We, however, we want to write the next chapter in American greatness with a 21st century prosperity that lifts everyone who's been left out and left behind, including those who may not vote for us, but who deserve their chance to make a new beginning. There's some illegal immigrants there. That's, that's the reference. Hillary Clinton is legitimately, she stole Barack Obama's stump speech and now she's using it. Okay, that line, make America great again, is taking us backwards. What was Trump's camp, what was Obama's campaign slogan in 2012 again? Oh yeah, that's right, it was forward. Right, and he argued that Mitt Romney wanted to take us back to the 50s. So she's running all the same playbook. This is why she's easy to beat, gang. She's running exactly the same playbook. It's the only playbook she knows. She's a by-the-book, wrote, corrupt Democrat hack. She always has been, but she's a woman. And so we're going to all pretend that we're excited about this. And then she attacks Trump, and here is where she actually has some material against Trump. Here she goes after Trump for his racism. When Donald Trump says a distinguished judge born in Indiana can't do his job because of his Mexican heritage, or he mocks a reporter with disabilities, <coughs> or calls women pigs, 
it goes against everything we stand okay, for. Okay, we stop it there. So, because, so Hillary, so Hillary going after Trump here. There's no defense for Trump here. He could go after her and say she does a lot of these same things, but she doesn't mock people with disabilities. She's terrible to women. But again, what would be nice is if we didn't have a candidate who is this vulnerable on all of these charges. And this is what Hillary's going to do, right? So this is what Hillary's going to do. She's going to knock Trump on all of this, and she's going to campaign as kind of the typical Democrat. And then she's going to swivel and she's going to do what every successful Democratic presidential candidate has done for the last 30 years. She's going to run as a moderate Republican. Seriously, watch this. Hillary Clinton is already swiveling to the general and she's already starting to run as a moderate Republican. So here's Hillary Clinton campaigning as a moderate Republican. Well, we believe we should lift each other up, not tear each other down. Unless my husband raped you. In that case, I'll tear you down, but sure. We need to give Americans a raise, not complain that hardworking people's wages are too high. We believe we need to help young people struggling with student debt, not pile more on our national debt with giveaways to the super wealthy. We believe we need to make America the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. I love when politicians nod to themselves. Not this way. insist that climate change is a hoax. She's like, you go, Hillary. So here's the so what she does is she takes a lot of these leftist tropes and she mixes them up with things that are not leftist. So for example, she says we can't pile more on our national debt with giveaways to the super wealthy. Since one of Democrats cared about the national debt, they blew it out. Blew it out. Right? Her husband cut the national debt, but she hasn't. Right? When she says that she wants to make America the the clean energy superpower. For ignorant people, you can't make America a clean energy superpower without destroying all of the jobs that actually create the energy upon which you live. But she says all these things, and she sounds like a moderate. She sounds like a moderate. And then, listen, to, this one's amazing. Here's where she goes full moderate, right? Listen to her take a couple of leftists, like a drop of leftism, and mix it in with a bunch of right-wing rhetoric. Here we go. To be great, we can't be small. We have to be as big as the values that define America. And we are a big-hearted, fair-minded country. We teach our children that this is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, we can stop it right there. She's nodding to herself. She just nods to herself all the way through this horrific speech. Okay, so notice something. The Democrats want to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. This has been a major issue. Okay, I was at the 2012 DNC at the Democratic National Convention when they literally booed God because God was in their platform and they wanted to remove it. And here she is preaching Republican stuff about God and liberty and justice, indivisible, etc. And none of it's real. None of it's real. But her, her shtick here is going to be, I'm going to campaign as a moderate. I'm the moderate with a vahoo-hoo. And so she, she concludes by saying that she's going to finish by breaking the glass ceiling. Here is Hillary finishing her campaign based on her chromosomal composition. So, yes. Yes. There are still ceilings to break for women and men, for all of us. But don't let anyone tell you that great things can't happen in America. Barriers can come down. Justice and equality can win. Our history has moved in that direction slowly at times, but unmistakably. Okay, thanks so she's, to generations she's just, she's just of ripping off, she's just ripping off Obama's rhetoric. And this is what Obama did all the way through 2008. He said, barriers can come down. I'm proof that barriers can come down. Then he got into office and he said, oh, look at that. All the barriers are still here. And they're terrible, these barriers. They're awful. That's why you have to reelect me is to take those barriers down. And now Hillary is saying, oh, look at that. The barriers are down because you're electing me. And then as soon as she gets into office, it'll be, the barriers are still up. Guess we need a bigger government. See, for, for the left, the barriers never come down. So this is all a ruse, okay? All of this is lies. All of this is typical democratic nonsense. All of this is garbage. But the media have to be excited because if they can slap a new face on it, then it's just magical, okay? All this is is just, you know, there, there are these series like Law and Order where they do Law and Order CSI or CSU or whatever. They, they just have special victims unit and then they have Law and Order Hawaiian narcs and they you know they, like they have law and order and thousand spinoffs and eventually you just go oh okay I, I, I get this this is the same show with the same formula you just put a couple of new leads in there 
Yeah, that, that's Hillary. Hillary's the new lead, and we have to find an excuse to be excited about her because we can't be excited about her. And we have to find an excuse to be excited about her ideas, but we can't be excited about her ideas. So instead we go to, well, you know, she's, she's the first one doing it. She's the first one. Okay, so meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, Donald Trump is desperately trying to tamp down the civil war that he has initiated with his own stupidity. And so Donald Trump, and, and, and yes, racism, Donald Trump is now reading from a teleprompter. So all of these Republicans are so desperate, desperate to get behind him. They're desperate to get behind him. They are looking for any excuse to back him. So Trump tries to give them one last night. He wins the primaries because there's nobody else running at this point. And then he flanks himself with, with his wife who looks like his daughter. And he proceeds to explain via teleprompter what he wants for America. And they have to put him on teleprompter because if he's off teleprompter, he's going to call somebody the N-word or something. You never know. I mean, he could, he's just going to spill something out that's going to be bad. So here, here's Donald Trump going after, talking about um, how he is going to be unifying people. He's, 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 he starts off with his, with his victory speech. He says, we're closing a chapter in history. He says, Hillary's historic. I'm historic, too. Now, recent polls have shown that I'm beating Hillary Clinton. And with all of her many problems and the tremendous mistakes that she's made, and she has made tremendous mistakes, we expect our lead to continue to grow and grow substantially. <laughs> to everyone who voted for me throughout this campaign, I want to thank you. I want to thank you very, very much. To those who voted for someone else in either party, I'll work hard to earn your support. And I will work very hard to earn that support. To all of those Bernie Sanders voters who have been left out in the cold by a rigged system of superdelegates, we welcome you with open arms. And by the way, the terrible trade deals that Bernie was so vehemently against, and he's right on that, will be taken care of far better than anyone ever thought possible. And that's what I do. We are going to have fantastic trade deals. We're going to start making money and bringing in jobs. Okay, so he's, he's making promises he can't possibly keep, and then he's trying to draw on the Sanders supporters, but he's a great unifier. Quick note, when he says we won so many votes, more votes than anybody in history, it's historic. It is historic. He's the first orange man to ever be a presidential nominee for a major party. But besides that, he and, and, and the first thrice married guy and the first reality TV star. So history is being made as we watch, folks. It's, it's also exciting between Hillary and Trump. It's I don't know which is more historic, the Hindenburg or the Titanic, um, but it's all very historic. Quick note, when Trump says he won more votes than any Republican primary candidate in history, it is worth noting that Donald Trump also lost more primary votes than any candidate in history. He won about 13.2 million votes. He lost about 16 million votes, right? So he, he won a lower percentage of the vote than, and, and as the nominee than any candidate since Richard Nixon in 1968. So, yeah. Uh, he, then he, he continues and he says he's, he's going to create peace. He says he, he's, he's a fighter, but he wants to make peace. Now, I know some people say I'm too much of a fighter. My preference is always peace, however, and I've shown that. I've shown that for a long time. <laughs> I've built an extraordinary business on relationships and deals that benefit all parties involved, always. My goal is always, again, to bring people together. But if I'm forced to fight for something I really care about, I will never, ever back down, and our country will never, ever back down. All right, so this is his stick. He's going to make peace. And he's back on the teleprompter, and everybody's very excited. Everybody's just, ooh, hoo, 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 okay, very excited. He's back on the teleprompter. Clearly, Donald Trump, we find, we've been waiting for good Trump, right? We keep waiting for good Trump, and we're finally, we're, we're, we finally hit good Trump, right? We've been waiting for the Trump who can control himself and be presidential and who can take it to Hillary Clinton and go right at Hillary Clinton. And he does this. He says that he's going to go right at Hillary Clinton. He says he's going to give a big speech on Monday in which he goes after Hillary Clinton and he talks about the State Department being her hedge fund and all this stuff. Fine. Within 24 hours, here's Donald Trump on Twitter. Within 24 hours. So here's Donald Trump on Twitter. Quote, nobody is watching Morning Joe anymore. Gone off the deep end. Bad ratings. You won't believe what I am watching now. This is good Trump. 
Okay, retweeting. Where is the reporting most votes for president in history of USA? All capital letters, right? He's retweeting people now in praise of himself. Great speech, S-P-E-A-C-H. Great spiach. Thanks. And this is what he's retweeting. Top rhino hack for MSNBC, Joey Scarborough on the air and calling the next president Trump a racist and a bigot. Shame on you. So this is good Trump. This is what good Trump looks like. Good Trump looks like this idiot. By the way, when he says, I'm not watching MSNBC, you'll never guess what I am watching. You're right. I don't know. What is it? Is it pornography? Are you watching bikini videos of your daughter? Are you watching the world burn? I mean, it could be anything. It could be anything. I don't know. He's such a mystery. He's such a mystery. This is good Trump. And good Trump also says Republicans are just going to have to get over the fact that he says stupid things every so often. Here is Donald Trump last night. After saying he's a great unifier, he glares into the camera and, and explains that everybody needs to hop on board the, the Trump train. When you hear Republicans, I, it be I, I Trump, watch Republicans way, attack you in, in, in the last 24 hours. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I haven't heard these, some of these Republicans attack Barack Obama, who was able to pass his entire agenda because they wouldn't fight him as hard as they're fighting you. Does that, is that a feeling you have? Well, it's sad. I, I don't care where the judge comes from or where judges come from. I just want to see. I want to yeah. get a fair shake. And we've had some very unfair opinions coming down. And you wonder what's going on. And I will tell you, it's a little disappointing. Some of the Republicans, and in all fairness, there's some of the people that I went through war with and, and I won. And there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of anxiety there. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of anger, I guess, yeah. anger. They just can't come back. They can't get over it. So they have to get over it, ideally. As to whether or not they endorse me, it's okay if they don't. But they, they have, have to get, get over it. it. They, they have to get over it. Everybody so has to get over it. So okay, long. first of all, Sean Hannity, my God. Okay, why haven't any of these people attacked Obama as harshly as they've attacked Trump? I was here. Okay, I was here. I spent the last eight years ripping Obama a new one. Okay, most of the never-Trump people, I'm not talking about some of the fair-weather never-Trumpers. I'm not talking about the John Kasichs of the world, right? Talking about the hardcore conservative never Trumpers, the people at National Review, for example. Talking about Eric Erickson. You think these are people who are soft on Obama? Right. The question is why you're backing a guy who mirrors half of Obama's policies, and and mirrors half of his philosophy. But in any case, Trump. That's good Trump. So waiting for good Trump is like waiting for Godot. Okay, Godot's never showing up, and neither is good Trump. It's never going to happen. Meanwhile, but I, I will note this, and this is worth noting. This is worth noting. Okay, the difference between Republicans and Democrats is that when Republicans nominate somebody absolutely unfit, like Donald Trump, there's a civil war inside the Republican Party. When Democrats nominate somebody absolutely unfit, like Hillary Clinton, they consolidate around her, the banner goes up, and they say that she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's what's been happening. So, for example, here is, here is Claire McCaskill, who is a Hillary ally. She's asked directly about Hillary brokering deals for the Russians. And there's a famous story in which Hillary Clinton at the State Department allowed the Russians to buy this uranium company in the United States, and the Russian government was giving money, uh, or, or the, the, the firm was giving money to the, the Clinton Foundation at the time. Watch Claire McCaskill cut and run on this one. And another point of attack for him is going to be the Clinton Global Initiative, whether it's why the tax returns were restated and what that means, what deals Bill Clinton was making uh, with Russia and uranium, what kind of shady nations were able to give a lot of money to that foundation while Clinton was a secretary of state. These are real concerns. Do you think that you have real answers? Well, I think that the Clinton Foundation did a lot of good around the world. And Hillary Clinton could have easily said, no, I don't want to be Secretary of State. I want to go make more money. Um, at any juncture, yeah, Hillary right. Clinton should, could have made a choice in uh -huh. her life to make money. She made a choice at every juncture in her life to serve the public. Every scar she had <laughs> came from public service. And I uh, think that's important Okay, to we need to stop it right there. Um, she made a choice at every point in her life to serve the public. To serve a public, in Hillary Clinton's mind, is a cookbook. Right, to, serve, to serve the public. Okay, but th th so they're consolidating around her. And to consolidate around her, they have to throw Bernie Sanders and his unfortunate age-riddled body. They have to throw that sucker right under the bus. So Bernie Sanders last night was super pissed. He didn't win California. And, uh, and he said, the struggle continues. The struggle does continue. Let's do this thing. Our fight is to transform this country and to understand and to understand that we are in this together to understand that all of what we believe 
is what the majority of the American people believe. And to understand that the struggle continues. The struggle continues. We shall overcome. By the way, there actually is tape. We'll have to grab it. There is tape of Bernie Sanders actually singing We Shall Overcome from a CD that he cut when he was the, the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, because it's a nutcase. Um, part of the amusement, by the way, of watching Bernie Sanders' tape is that it always appears halfway through the sentence that he might lose his train of thought and just start talking about when he used to play stickball in the streets or something. And then he sort of continues. So there's always this kind of awkward pause, and then you wait for him to just, like your, like your grandfather, who's a little addled, you wait for him to, to continue on a completely different topic. But Bernie Sanders, remember, he was the darling of the left. MSNBC loved him. Now they're ready to consolidate around Hillary. And so Bernie Sanders, they have to dig a grave for him. And then they have to knock him in the face like Joe Pesci at the end of Casino and bury him in a cornfield somewhere. So here's Rachel Maddow doing exactly that on MSNBC last night. Or Chris Hayes. I can't really tell the difference. According to this Politico piece tonight, it was Senator Sanders himself, quote, who personally rewrote his campaign manager's shorter statement after the chaos of that state party convention. The statement that the Sanders campaign put out after Nevada basically said, yeah, 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 of course Bernie Sanders is against violence, but, but. this was caused by the convention. They're blaming Senator Sanders for writing that himself. Quote, he was the one who also made the choice to go after DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz after his wife read him a transcript of her blasting him on television. It was Senator Sanders himself who chose, as Politico puts it, the knife fight over calling Hillary Clinton unqualified, which aids blame for pulling the bottom out of any hopes they had of winning in New York. And when Jimmy Kimmel's producers asked the Sanders campaign for a question to ask Donald Trump, Sanders himself wrote the one challenging Donald Trump uh, to a debate. So blaming Bernie Sanders himself yeah, it, for all of those strategic decisions. And the, and the piece also says that Sanders it was, is, is personally responsible for setting the basic tone of the campaign recently, which has been, and, and, and it's quoted as, screw me, no, screw you. Yes. I mean, and, and it, so now... <laughs> You know, I, you, t you take these end of campaign stories, I do, with um, several grains of salt. I mean, because you do have to look at the sourcing and you have to then try to figure out. And we out. don't know who on the Sanders exactly. campaign is. So if they Aides say Sanders thinks that progressives who picked Hillary Clinton over him are cynical, power-chasing chickens, like Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. One of Bernie Sanders' most consistent allies in the Senate before endorsing Clinton and campaigning hard for her ahead of the Ohio primary. Sanders is so bitter about that that he would be ready to nix Sherrod Brown as an acceptable VP choice for Clinton if Clinton ever asked his advice on who would be a good progressive champion. Okay, so... Why she, do you throw so a bomb? Matt Maddow's really upset about this. She's very upset at Bernie Sanders. Why doesn't he just go away? Why doesn't he just leave us all alone? So they romanced with Bernie Sanders. Now they want to consolidate, and so Sanders has to go away. So the Democrats are rallying around their felon. They're rallying around their historic felon. Meanwhile, the Republicans are tearing each other apart. And they're tearing each other apart because there are people in the Republican Party who look at Donald Trump and they say, what the living hell are you doing? What the living hell are you doing? And it's people who, are, who are, have heretofore been Trump supporters, even Trump's own supporters, are now beginning to realize the awkwardness of, of supporting Trump. One Trump supporter, Dan Coats of Indiana, apparently he was asked, what politically, what, what on policy makes Trump better than Hillary? He paused for 11 seconds before he could come up with a response. <laughs> Mitch McConnell, who has come out in favor of Donald Trump, he was asked by Matt Lewis here, you know, what should Donald Trump do? And here is, here's Mitch McConnell. I think a good place to start would be to apologize for the various totally inappropriate uh, things he said over the last couple of weeks. Uh, another thing I'd like to see him do is get on script. I think it's time for him to look like a serious candidate for president, which means that you need to think before you speak, you need to apologize when you make a mistake, and get on script. He's running for the most important job in the country, some would argue in the world, and I think there's a certain threshold of credibility that needs to be met. I was with him in the green room when he went to the NRA convention in Louisville a couple of weeks ago. And I said, hey, Donald, have you got a script? Pulled it out of his pocket. I said, are you going to use it? He said, I hate the script. It's boring. I said, put me down in favor of boring. Okay, well, it doesn't matter because he ain't going to listen to you, gang. Uh, putting, putting you down in favor of boring is not a surprise, but he ain't going to listen to you. 
Hugh Hewitt, who's been a real Republican Party loyalist. I mean, Hugh is, is a guy who really believes in Republican Party unity. This morning on his radio show, he said that they should try to take the nomination away from Trump at the convention, even after all the primaries have been ended. Here's Hewitt. It's like ignoring stage four cancer. You can't do it. Got to go attack it. And uh, right now, the Republican Party is facing the plane is headed towards the mountain after the last 72 hours. And you have Mark Kirk unendorsed. Mark Kirk's going to lose anyway. I'm not Mark Kirk fan. I don't believe in casting aspersions on him. He's just he's not going to get reelected. Lindsey Graham is a uh, very serious student of the world. He's a uh, with whom I've disagreed often, but in the last two years on ISIS, he's absolutely right. Uh, and he speaks for a lot of people. And he says he cannot vote for Donald Trump. Uh, I'm disappointed to hear that. I'll talk to Lindsey Graham about that. You know, I want to support the nominee of the party, but I think the party ought to change the nominee because we're going to get killed with this nominee. And uh, the, I have never said that. I waited till after the primary was over. I stayed Switzerland to the end, and the 72 hours dovetailed with that. They ought to get together and let the convention decide. If Donald Trump pulls over a makeover in the next four to five weeks, great. They can keep him. It would be better if he had done so five weeks ago. Okay, it ain't going to happen. They're not going to take the nomination away from Trump. They're not going to stop it because if they do, 40% of the Republican base walks out on them. They lose the election anyway, and they're seen as people who rejected the popular will. Okay, all this is to say, however, all this is to say that Trump, because he's basically indefensible, Republicans at least have the, the strength of principle to struggle with this. Okay, at least they have the strength of principle to struggle with this. I'm often asked about, on religious grounds, how do you know that you believe in God? And the answer is, I struggle with God's justice, and that means I believe in him. Okay, struggling with Donald Trump as the nominee means you actually have some principles. Just jumping behind him demonstrates that you have no principles at all. And the Republicans are struggling with this, and they ought to be struggling with this. The Democrats don't struggle at all because they're all corrupt and terrible. I mean, this is the, the, no matter what you say about Trump, Democrats are more corrupt and terrible than Republicans. Not only are they in favor of mob rule, they're also in favor of a nominee who is an open felon, an open felon. Now, that said, the Wall Street Journal today is ripping on everybody who says that Paul Ryan shouldn't have endorsed Donald Trump. There's an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that's just, it, it's legitimately one of the worst editorials I've ever read. They basically blame people who are anti-Trump for Trump in the first place. The Wall Street Journal is more responsible for Trump than people like me. Okay, the, the, the people at the Wall Street Journal ignoring illegal immigration, pretending that it's nothing bad, suggesting that Paul Ryan's immigration plan was some sort of boon, and then saying that the only two alternatives in life are Paul Ryan and Donald Trump. When Trump wins, that means that they have to side behind him. I think there's a third way, and the third way is neither of those two actual conservatism, but there is this tendency now that people have to be cudgeled into line. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, time for things that I like and then a couple of things that I hate. Okay, things that I like. So we're doing sports films and sports books this, this week. So in terms of sports films, this is the one that every man cries at. Whenever you ask what movie makes a man cry, this is always the number one movie on everybody's list. This is, of course, Field of Dreams. And here's a little bit of the trailer. I have just created something totally <laughs> illogical. That's what I like about If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Inside. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's hearing voices? Ray is. <laughs> I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? <laughs> Daddy, there's a man up there on your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. It's, it's a... Hi! <laughs> you couldn't see it. This is really interesting. You believed in the magic. It happened. Isn't that enough? Annie, it's more than that. I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life. There's a reason. Go the distance. Okay, so it's a, it's a great movie. Did you hear it's the a voice really, too? really good movie. Burt you... Lancaster and James Earl Jones, and it's great cast. Ray Liotta was really young and great in this film. And uh, th there's one, you know, there's, there's part of the movie that just doesn't fit. There's part where they just start rambling about horrible right-wingers in Iowa that makes no sense. About a 10-minute interlude in the middle of the film that's really dumb. But the rest of the film is really, really good and, and truly American. And, and, and the ending of it is, of course, fantastic. Uh, for anybody who's close to their dad, the ending is, is great. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a very 
it's it's a it's a it's a fun movie to watch and and every guy cries at the end of that film like pretty much every guy cries at the end of that film girls cry at the end of shopaholic or something but but guys cry at the end of cry at the end of, of field of dreams um <clears throat> i'll do I'll, I'll save a, i have another baseball book but i'll save it for i'll save it for tomorrow okay things that i hate so there's a high school boy who has now won a uh, all state honors as a girl running track here's here's what that looked like um, yeah, we can play it. The fastest 3A girls in the state cross the finish line of the 100-meter run. Haynes' Natafon Wengyat is among them, but Wengyat's story is different than any other runner at the state championships. She was born a male. Natafon and her coach declined to comment on this story, but outside the stadium, members of the Alaska Family Council gather to voice their opinion. It is not fair and it is not right for our female athletes, and we have a responsibility to protect our, our girls that have worked really hard, that are working toward college scholarships. Wengyat was the third seed in the 100-meter race coming into the weekend, just missing the cut. Hutchison senior Saskia Harrison. I'm glad that this person's comfortable with who they are and they're able to be happy in who they are, but competitively I don't think it's completely 100% fair. Well, I think that's an overgeneralization. Alaska Schools Activities Association Executive Director Billy Strickland says the ASAA doesn't have a statewide policy for transgender athletes. Set. Okay, so we can stop Instead, it here. Instead, this, this is idiotic. It's idiotic, okay? If you're born a male, if you're a biological male, you shouldn't be competing against women. Or why don't we just get rid of, let's get rid of the categories entirely and the only people who will be running are, are males. Okay, because transgender males won't be able to compete with, with actual males who are not having hormone treatments, right, estrogen treatments. So this whole thing is incredibly dumb. Okay, last thing that I hate today, and now I get to, to pick on, on our good friend Lindsay. Um, so Lindsay brought this up, and she knew that she should not have done this. It was a huge mistake uh, because whenever she says stuff like this off the air, she knows that I'm immediately going to grab it and use it on the air. So what's the name of this guy? Travis Barker. Travis Barker. Okay, Travis Barker is a rock musician, and what group is he with? Okay, he was with Blink-182. And for those who can't see this, for people who can't see this picture of Travis Barker, he's tattooed from neck on down. I mean, he's, he's, he looks like the illustrated man from Ray Bradbury. He's just got tattoos everywhere. He's got some tattoos on his face, uh, and he, he, he looks terrible. Um, and so this is a meme of him. Uh, he... You may think that he looks good, Lindsay, yeah. but that's okay. That's you're weird. So, so you have odd tastes. There are homeless people who look better than this. So, so Travis Barker is standing there, and there's a meme of him, and it says this. It says, "Quote: I tattooed my body so I couldn't fall back on anything. I purposely did that so I couldn't get a normal job and live a normal life. I did it so I had to play music." This makes you a full scale grade A moron. Okay, this is the equivalent of some guys like you know what. I desperately want to play soccer, and I and I'm, I'm just to make sure I don't have a fallback position. I'm cutting off my arms. I'm just going to cut them off. I don't need them. You know, I need to play soccer. I don't want any job. You know, I may be tempted to j jump to drop out of this whole soccer thing, and I don't want those arms there to remind. That'll be a constant reminder that I need to play soccer. It's the only thing I can do. All I have is legs now, right? This <laughs> this is so stupid. The reason this is stupid is because your tattoos do not guarantee you success in life. They guarantee you won't be successful in one area. But they don't guarantee you will be successful in another area. What made this guy presumably a successful drummer is that he can drum, not that he has tattoos, right? The idea, oh, I committed myself now, now I better learn how to drum. If you, are you really that weak-minded? You couldn't teach yourself to drum? Like, you, you didn't realize that you had to learn how to drum to be a drummer until you slathered your body in terrible-looking tattoos, right? And as you get older and those start to sag, you're just going to start looking like a graffiti-covered bench in South Central L.A.? Like, this is a, it's, it's so stupid, but this is what people do. And, and I think writ large, this is actually a bigger message. The bigger message is don't set up obstacles for yourself in the opinion that this makes you more virtuous. There are too many people in American society who do this, right? They, they women who get pregnant out of wedlock, and then they go, oh, well, you know, I did it, and, and look how courageous I am. I overcame that to do X. You know it would have been better if you didn't do that? You know it would have been better if he hadn't gotten the tattoos? Because guess what? You know what would happen if this idiot... Had it not been part of a successful man, if he'd been like the other millions of people who played in a garage band and then fell and fell apart and, and never made it big, you know what happened? I'd be paying for him, right? He'd be on welfare. He couldn't get a job. That's his whole point. His whole point is that he didn't want to get a normal job and live a normal life. Right. So now your two options are you either make it big as a rock star or I pay for you. That's not my decision. That's your decision. So you get to take away my money because you're stupid. Okay. So I'm, I'm very glad that this guy made it big. And so he's not relying on my money. I'm very happy that he's not relying on my money. 
But kids, take this as a lesson. Don't be a moron. Don't make irreversible decisions that create obstacles for yourself because, oh, I'm going to make sure that I'm totally committed. I'm totally committed into this career that I've chosen for myself. I have to make sure that I'm committed. Really, just tie like a string around your finger and remind yourself. You really had like you really had to go and get under the needle for a thousand years. I hate tattoos generally. Lindsay knows this. I mock her for her tattoo on a regular basis. Lindsay has a tattoo on her wrist that says "Brave." And as I've said, unless you're it, this is the difference between women and men, right? You know who else has a brave tattoo, gang? You know who else has a brave tattoo? The Chewbacca lady. She has a brave tattoo also. Really, watch that tape. She's sitting behind the Chewbacca mask. She raises her arm at one point, and I mailed this to Lindsay. I said, Lindsay, these are the kinds of people. <laughs> She's so brave. She's so brave because true bravery is not fighting in Normandy. True bravery is sitting in a car with a Chewbacca mask and laughing hysterically while you video yourself. That is true bravery, gang. So, okay. So that, that's my little rant against tattoos. But even if you're getting a tattoo, even, <laughs> even though, even though, there are, listen, you, you can get a tattoo. That's fine. There are plenty of people who have tattoos. I, you don't have, I don't have to like it. You don't have to care what I think. That's fine. But please, for the love of God, don't do stupid things in your life that prevent you from making decisions later on. Okay, don't pre-commit yourself to a course because it may turn out, what happens if, if, if the guy got tinnitus and decided he couldn't deal with rock music? <laughs> like, what, what happens if you pre-commit yourself to a course? You're 14 years old, I want to be an astronaut. Because I want to be an astronaut, I'm going to ensure that I only, that I only live in this bubble for the next two years. Right? I'm just going to live in this bubble. And then it turns out, well, you know what? The whole astronaut thing didn't work out, but now I'm susceptible to every disease on the planet because I lived in a bubble. Yeah, this is, it's dumb, dumb, dumb stuff. Like, think, think a little, think to like the next step in your life, gang. I, I think that there are a number of young people who got tattoos who are not thinking beyond like the next step because if they thought 40 years down the line, particularly women, you'd realize how bad these tattoos are going to look. There's no such thing as a good-looking tattoo on a 60-year-old woman, right? It's, a, it's all fun and games when you're 20 and hot. Okay, it's a totally different thing when you're 70 and you look like you smoke six packs a day and you're sitting there without a larynx and you got a tattoo on your arm. Okay, it looks totally different then. So let's just think a little bit down the road, gang. And uh, and that's that's my, my message for the day. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with the mailbag. Subscribe at dailywire.com and you can be part of the vaunted Ben Shapiro Show mailbag and join the fun. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where Preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes towards saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.